So you've decided to give up that old behavior that's been killing you and all you care for and surrender to a power greater than yourself. That's the first step. Surrender is what opens the prison door. Now it's time to walk through that door and into a whole new way of life. Spirituality, self-care, service, social connection, and the simple daily disciplines that pave the way to lasting freedom. This is Positive Sobriety. the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Hey, I'm Nate Larkin, here with my good friend, uh, David Hampton, my friend of so many years. Yeah. And uh, how cool is it we get to do this now uh, on a weekly basis? And just line up all kinds of, just a vast array of interesting people to talk to. Yeah, we we can, uh, you know, now that folks are kind of coming to us too, to, um, uh, uh, you know, talk about what they're doing in their in their realm of uh, sobriety or recovery or therapy, we are getting a far reaching um, range of modalities, I guess it would yeah, be yeah, the yeah, best yeah, way yeah. we'll call that. So okay. yeah, it's fun. Oh, although I don't know, I caught myself in the mirror this morning, David, and uh, I, I don't know what happened. What's it's uh, I will say, you know, Allie and I've been in Florida now for five months. Uh, I not that I was in peak condition, physical condition before we got here, uh, but I, the five months I don't know. I've let a lot of things slide. Uh, uh, feeling like <laughs> here we uh, go, <laughs> right? Feeling like I I need some more structure. I need more structure in what I'm eating. Uh, it, it, you know, I kind of got into vacation head. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Structure is for when you're at home. And we still, uh, we were supposed to close on that new house in Tennessee tomorrow. And the closing has been delayed yet again. Oh, no. Uh, I don't know when we're going to get home. Golly. Uh, but, yeah. And I've got I've got proof right around the middle of me. <laughs> so for five months, you've been eating like you're on vacation? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, basically. We're right next door to a beach bar. Oh, God. With a big grill. Yeah. And, well, there you are. Uh, and we've had lots of company. That's been nice. Well, yeah. Uh, but, the, 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 you know, we take them out to eat. Well, sure. That's why people are there. I mean, yeah, they want yeah, yeah, yeah. to try out seafood and all those places. But, uh, you know, it's that ongoing. We talk about it enough, I know. But we that ongoing self-care thing, you know. Yeah. And, it, and self-care, you know, I'm learning. Can't take a vacation. I'll tell you what. I had it. Here's my here's my new interesting thing. Um, I. Uh, was talking to somebody really close to me the other day, not the other day, it was about three weeks ago. And I was lamenting because I, you know, I gained this weight with AFib and when I couldn't Mm -hmm. exercise and all this stuff, and I've been trying to get hit and miss back at the gym and eating better and trying to do those things. And then I'm on and I'm off. And then if I'm so all or nothing that if I don't go, you know, then screw it. I'm not going to go the rest of the week or (laughs) yeah, right. Exactly. Start again next Monday, all that stuff. But I was really lamenting that I did not have time to take care of me. You know, it's kind of in the weeds uh, emotionally. I was just kind of like, you know what? I don't have time to take care of me. Self-care is a luxury other people have. Mm -hmm. Um, People who aren't as busy as I am. People who Mm -hmm. don't have people who need things from them. You know, all that stuff. And and, and he said, well, what time... um, do you uh, have to be in the office? And I said, uh, my first appointment's nine o'clock and I've got to be in there by nine. I don't leave until uh, sometimes six 30 in the evening. And uh, so, you know, I got, I got to get up, got to walk the dog, got to get cleaned up, get out, get to the office. And he goes, well, um, who's your boss? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, me, he said, well, what would happen if you just told your clients that your first appointment is at nine is not at nine anymore. It's at 10. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, I'd probably lose five hours of billable time a week, you know? 
And mm-hmm. he's like, no, I'm seriously wondering if people wouldn't reschedule if you told them that your first appointment was at 10 o'clock and you don't have to tell them what you're doing or why, but that would give you that extra hour in the morning to get to the gym. And so anyway, I made a lot of excuses and then I thought, well, you know what, why not? I'm going to try it. So I came in about two weeks ago and my first 9 a.m. client, I said, listen, um, I am going to be changing my schedule a little bit and I'm not going to have 9 a.m. open anymore. When would you like to come in? And my mm-hmm. thought was that they would throw their hands up, leave, never come back yeah. <laughs> because of my scarcity right, yeah. mentality. And they said, um, you know, uh, okay, well, I could come in at uh, 10 on certain days or maybe I could come late afternoon certain days. Anyway, long story short, all my 9 a.m.s rescheduled without anybody throwing a fit or Imagine losing Imagine that. Imagine that. And yeah. so I, my routine now is I get up at 6, walk the dog. And I go right down to the gym in my building. Um, I don't have to think about it. I don't give myself time to talk myself out of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I suddenly had, I suddenly had an hour in the morning that because I made the the step because I actually took responsibility uh, for uh, my time and and my own needs that I have for the last two weeks been able to go down every morning and get on the treadmill for at least 30 minutes. Sometimes I can grab a workout in after that, but I at least get 30 minutes in on the treadmill every day. And I got to tell you, my mental health has changed amazingly. I sleep better. I don't have nearly the anxiety. I mean, I sound like a commercial, but all that to say, you know, the moral of the story is we're in charge (laughs) (laughs) and we forget that. You know, yeah. and so yeah. Yeah. Uh, there are changes that you can make, and I bet the outcome wouldn't be nearly as grave as you might fear that it would be. Because I was convinced, you know, I'd lose five billable hours a week, and I didn't lose any. You know, yeah. people just yeah. shuffled and put them somewhere else. Man, so I love that question: Who's your boss? Yeah. Well. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well. What's okay. interesting is I here I'll tell you this, Nate. What's interesting yeah, yeah. is is I had to think about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. Well, I, I just think about I have boxed myself in. So here's the thing. For years and years and years, a a a bedrock piece of my fitness routine, such as my fitness is, mm-hmm. has been to walk every morning. Right. Uh, with uh, and seldom alone. With, I walk for an hour with one guy. I walk for an hour with another guy. Right. And I've walked around Franklin, Tennessee, and I walk on sidewalks. That's what I have always done. I've walked on sidewalks. Yeah. So I'm in Florida. There's no sidewalk here. <laughs> However, there's a beach across the street <laughs> that goes for freaking ever. Uh-huh. <laughs> but in my head... I walk on sidewalks. I can't possibly be walking in the morning. What's wrong? What's what's the what's the disconnect? Yeah. 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 We get so entrenched in what we believe to be our um our necessary normal, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. that we just sometimes can't even see options uh, yeah. beyond what we're doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So but uh, I think the interesting thing about our guest today, though, is he's uh, he's very big on us connecting with uh, ourselves, taking responsibility for taking care of ourselves. And, and he's got a pretty unique approach. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, he does. And you'll hear all about it when we come back on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Oh, welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. We've got a fascinating guest this week. Uh, I just know we got, we've got quite a story ahead of us. It's not every day you meet a Broadway star. Uh, Ron Baker's joining us, uh, joining us not from Manhattan. You, you, you made the big move when the pandemic hit, didn't you? you I did. The city, I did, you yeah. The Apple. <laughs> Where did you land? I landed up in Woodstock, New York. Very, oh. very creative, beautiful place. Okay. All right. Quite a nice change of pace. <laughs> and and I, 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 our listeners can't see it, but David and I can see it. It looks like you're in a lovely home. 
I am. And if you don't mind me sharing an interesting anecdote, yeah. I, hap I happened to land in the house where Jimi Hendrix lived when he was here in the 60s. Oh. I'm, a, I'm a part of history now. Uh, there you go. That's, yeah. No, no pressure. How cool is that? Yeah. <laughs> Those are some great bragging rights right there. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I, you've got a you've got a recovery story of your own, from what I understand. Uh, I wonder if you got some time, if you can just uh, thumbnail for us. Although you, no no need to compress the story too much. I I have sense right away you're a natural storyteller. <laughs> uh, talk to us about kind of the long and winding road that got Ron Brown uh, 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 Ron Baker to where he is today. Well, tying it into a recovery story, mm -hmm. interesting. Uh, I think anybody who moves from a wounded, protected approach to life, mm -hmm. because we didn't get a whole lot of training about self and how to navigate life effectively, mm -hmm. ultimately has a recovery story if they're seeking help and improving their lives. Yeah, However, yeah, yeah. I do also have witnessing very close up a recovery mm -hmm. story in my mom, mm. kind of my dad as well. Um, when I grew up in North Carolina, uh, like today, we don't live in a world that has a whole lot of emotional education. Yeah. That has yeah, a whole yeah. lot of, let me show you how to feel safe with your feelings, how to process your feelings, how mm -hmm. to deal with life and turn it into gifts. Mm -hmm. That is not the general, and it is what I've dedicated my life to doing mm. because of what I witnessed as a child. Mm. So I watched my mom and dad have no idea how to navigate their challenges. They didn't mm. know how to create real, authentic intimacy and mutual support in their relationship. Mm -hmm. And so as things got more and more pressured and then everybody seeking exits. My mm -hmm. father had affairs. Mm -hmm. My mother started drinking. Mm -hmm. They ended up in divorce, but it got really, really challenging in my middle school years. Mm -hmm. And when my father was no longer in the house, there were two years where I would end up some nights in the living room as a 13, 14 year old with my mm -hmm. mom passed out on the couch. And it was just me to try and figure out what to do, how to take mm -hmm. care of things. And I had a seven year old sister sleeping, you know, in mm -hmm. her bed and I was scared to death. And so mm -hmm. I watched this for a couple of years and it was painful. And my escape was just skipping school and staying in my room and shutting down and sleeping all the time. Mm -hmm. So all of us went through a lot of pain. My older sister, since I haven't included the one family member, my older mm -hmm. sister escaped by just not being at home, by going mm -hmm. and spending all her time with her friends. So yeah. escape was the name of the game. Sure, and so right, everybody right, right. did their own version because nobody knew how to deal with their feelings or communicate or get help or ask for help or feel mm -hmm. safe to admit that I need help. Yeah. It was, you know, the typical story that millions and millions of people go through in their own versions. And so I'm grateful to say that after a couple of years, my mom found her way to some friends who got her into AA. Mm -hmm. She showed up like a big dog, made a beautiful recovery, and mm -hmm. ended up turning it into a lifetime career. She ended up being the head of two treatment centers for decades and wow. helped thousands wow. of people. Yeah. yeah. Just yeah. a beautiful eventual. So I kind of look at life like these are our soul lessons, mm -hmm. and we have to set up the challenge and oftentimes hit the conflict yeah, in yeah. the head and yeah. bang our head on a tree for a little bit <laughs> and then eventually go, you know what? It doesn't feel good to beat my head on this tree. Yeah. Let me make a new choice. And she did. And so she used to say to me after her recovery, well, when you get tired of making that choice, I hope you'll make a new one. And I oh, love wow. that. Just practical <laughs> yeah. wisdom. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. Well, so that's a little bit of the story from early on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ron, you 
you you had a, a background for a, a number of years in the performing arts, right? And, yeah, yeah. Uh, you were on Broadway and in road companies and uh, opera, and uh, uh, had lead roles in things like Phantom and Les Mis, and um, and so that doesn't happen overnight either. And I know from uh, being a musician uh, in, in a former life um, here in Nashville. Uh, those things come out of our childhood very often. You know, we, we discover our passions, our, our talents. And, and some of us, when we grow up in this kind of dysfunction, we learn our performing can be kind of our, our escape hatch. Was that uh, something that happened for you? Oh, you're talking my language. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, I was so informed with the wounded choices I was watching, Mm -hmm. just Mm -hmm. even taking out the garbage, which was my job and emptying the trash and getting beer and Mm -hmm. cigarette ashes on my hands just gave me such an aversion to going that route. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I sought escape through music. Mm -hmm. Okay. And even though I was a pianist for a long time, Eventually, what I really loved was singing. And so I would sit down and get all my feelings out through the songs that I was singing. Mm -hmm. Little did I know I was preparing for a career. I just Mm -hmm. thought I was soothing myself. Mm -hmm. And so I had lots of opportunity. And I have to say that even in the years when my mother was in her heavy addiction, she always made sure that the three of us were able to take the lessons have the things that we mm-hmm. truly cared about. And believe me, it wasn't because she could afford it, but mm-hmm. she just prioritized that and it was beautiful. And so I got all this wonderful training in lots of different musical and on stage opportunities. And I thought I was going to use my talent to get scholarships to pay for becoming a doctor. And it just snowballed and mm-hmm. the opportunity to go to school, then go to grad school, and then apprentice with the San Francisco Opera. And then I got to perform over 60 leading roles all over the world. Mm. It was really wonderful as uh, an experience and as training for what I do now. So mm. it, it, it's, mm. been, it's mm. been a rich, of course, challenge-filled, like everyone's life, yeah. uh, but an amazing journey. Yeah. Yeah. Now that you're not, you're no longer on stage. I'm curious, what is there about that part of your life that you miss, and what part don't you miss? Well, interesting. The timing of your question. Mm -hmm. Last night, (laughs) I did an event to Mm -hmm. launch a book, and I was like, you know what? I'm sharing my story in this book, and. I'm going to bring in every part of my life. And so I was on stage in front Mm -hmm. of a packed room, which was a wonderful feeling. And Mm -hmm. to be back on a stage was such Mm -hmm. a great feeling. Mm -hmm. And and I even ended up singing four songs within the share about the book, just Mm -hmm. to give emotional impact to the stories that I was sharing. Mm -hmm. And it felt just amazing. Ah. (laughs) And also uh, I have a niece. Well, I have, several nieces involved in music, but Mm -hmm. the first of those nieces followed in similar footsteps. And I started training her when she was 10 Mm -hmm. and she made her Broadway debut at 13. And then I kept my feet in that pool Mm -hmm. because of her. And so uh, it's such an important part of myself that I uh, haven't gotten too far away from it. Okay. Okay. But you had an experience, um, and all in your bio, uh, Ron, that it really uh, alluded to was that you had an experience on a bus that changed your direction, um, kind of an encounter with your higher power. Um, I'm real curious about that. What uh, you're going along, I guess, you know, performing, being in all these great, uh, you know, uh, productions and so forth. And then you have something that sounds like may have blindsided you a little bit. 
Well, I love when life surprises us most of the time. <laughs> yeah. 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 On a good day. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> most of the time. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I was making my debut at Lincoln Center. And in order to do this show, which was Stephen Sondheim's A Little Night Music, mm-hmm. They took the production out of town. It's called out of town tryouts. Sure. And you go and do that in a smaller venue so that the team can tweak the show and make it the best it can be before coming to New York because those New York City newspapers and the reviews they offer make or break the show. Mm -hmm. Right. So we were on our way on a bus to go up to Saratoga Springs. And as I was sitting there on the bus, I hear a man speaking behind me, sharing the most enthralling story about having a near-death experience. Mm -hmm. Now, if people haven't heard of that, most people might have at this point, Mm -hmm. but 30 years ago, people hadn't really heard about that much. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And he literally had the archetypal experience of leaving his body, seeing his body in the bed below him, Mm -hmm. going through a tunnel of light, finding himself in this space that was so connected and filled with love at a level he'd never felt. And then he heard a voice in his head that said, you must go back. You have not learned how to love. And he found himself back in his body. Mm -hmm. And that person ended up becoming my dearest friend and my business partner for 22 years. Mm. And the surprise continued because three months after meeting him, we went to a meditation group and Robert had his first experience of discovering he had a gift of channeling. Mm -hmm. Now, the energy of Archangel Gabriel coming through was intriguing to me. I had never experienced channeling. And yet I was so thrilled because I had been such a seeker and wanted to find clear, deep, profound answers to life that would allow it to make much more sense. And the energy and the information, even in that very first time that came through was so loving and clear. Well, for people who are new to channeling, Mm -hmm. when I did my event last night, I shared it this way. I said, I have an antique radio here. And just three or four generations ago, our grandparents, great-grandparents, the radio was considered a miracle. They Mm -hmm. couldn't imagine you'd hit a button and somebody really far away would be able to speak or do music. And that energy would somehow travel through thin air and be picked up by a receiver. Mm -hmm. And I say, we do it ourselves all the time when we pick up on the energy from someone. Wow, they feel really angry. Oh, they feel so open and loving. That's a form of energy being sent. Or how about you think of somebody out of the blue and then a minute later they phone you. Mm -hmm. I say that's because the person sent the energy of their intention in your direction. And we have a receiver that picks up on that. And then the person calls. So Robert discovered he had a beautiful accelerated version of that ability to receive. And so, yes, I was blindsided in the most life-changing, helpful way that I could have possibly imagined and thousands of hours of education about how to resolve our fears, how to deal with our feelings, how to literally heal the wounding that we all carry, as well as what's happening on the planet and why it's happening and what the opportunity is. Profound education. Mm. Now, is this called bioenergetic healing that you're talking about, Ron? Well, I am a bioenergetics therapist. Mm-hmm. That was that is my second career. Mm-hmm. And basically it boils down to helping people understand how they block and hold energy in their bodies because of feelings they don't know how to handle or when we're little because of situations that trigger feelings we don't know how to handle. And so we learn to defend ourselves energetically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I help people get in touch with how they block energy, how they 
don't allow a free flow of energy that will allow them to continue blossoming into more and more of their most authentic self, as well as how to create proactive health. Uh And I kind of have the opportunity to, to be a living example of what is possible with that because I've only been sick two or three days in 25 years. Mm -hmm. And so when we move energy and nurture the feelings and release all that, our bodies are capable of so much more. Mm-hmm. When people come to you um, for therapy, Ron, are you um, are you finding that you work with a lot of people in recovery or some of your clients people in recovery? As I sort of alluded earlier, I think everybody's in recovery. Whether we know it or not. From how I defended (laughs) recovery, Uh from how I escaped. Uh Everybody has addictions. Uh Mine Mm -hmm. happened to be addiction to work, achieving, trying to impress and seek validation. Mm -hmm. And I was Mm -hmm. hook, line, and sinker, an addict of all of that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I think everybody is. But yes, I get get quite a few people um, who have either been or are in the middle of all that. Mm -hmm. And the good news is when you learn how to nurture and receive and open to what was missing because mommy and daddy just didn't know how Mm -hmm. to provide that nurturing, it builds a solid core of self-value for the first time for most people. And it makes the recovery so much easier when you have an alternative. And it's not just trying to get rid of unhealthy behavior. Oh, I know I shouldn't escape. I know I should stop that. Well, we've known we should stop it (laughs) from the beginning. Nobody needed to tell us that. However, if I don't have something to replace it with, and soothe it and calm the underbelly, then it's so much harder. I find, if I may make such a bold statement, that 100% of the people who make a commitment to the tools of nurturing themselves as I teach them make such clear, distinct, consistent forward moves. It's a beautiful thing to watch. Well, friends, David and I are pleased to welcome to the podcast a new sponsor, Soberlink. And we're positive that you're going to love this tool for managing your alcohol recovery. In early sobriety, we often focus on what we're losing instead of what we're gaining. Soberlink, you're gaining increased accountability, a deterrent against drinking, and a tool to help you stay connected with people who care. Uh, Here's what it is. It's a really high-tech breathalyzer device with facial recognition. It allows you to share your sobriety in real time with loved ones. In case there's ever a slip, your treatment professional or anyone else you've chosen to be in your recovery circle will know immediately. Uh, More important than the technology is the brand. It is part of Soberlink's mission to break the stigma that surrounds addiction, which is why they partner with Positive Sobriety Podcast and many others in the recovery community. It's also why they specifically focus on using alcohol monitoring as a recovery tool, not for criminal or recreational purposes. There there isn't anything like it on the market. Well, together we've developed a guide called Tips for Keeping a Positive Outlook on Sobriety. And you can download it at www.soberlink.com PSP. That PSP is for Positive Sobriety Podcast. On that page, you'll also find a form to request $50 off your purchase when you're ready to try Soberlink. I wonder if you can give us maybe from, just take one tool out of your toolbox uh, that you find is especially helpful to the people that you work with. They come in, uh, uh, they're, you know, they want to change direction. Yeah. They want, uh, they want to, uh, to not escape, but they need to do something else. Yeah. I'm sure you've got a full range of tools. Can you just pick one and kind of describe it for us a little bit? Yeah, you better believe it. Um, Basically, 
two things are necessary in order for someone to feel really safe and clear. Mm-hmm. One is a clear map of the journey to self, understanding the potentials that we hold. And so that's not the tool I'm going to bring out, mm-hmm. though I offer a very simple but powerful map of self. We need clarity about that. And then we need to know how to connect to self and move energy. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to offer a way for anyone listening today to tune in to self at the moment and go through this simple discovery. I like discovering where we are habitually and then offering an alternative. So I'm going to say one word and I'd love for everyone listening to focus on that word, but do not change a single thing about what you're doing. The word is breath. Don't change it. Just pay attention to how you are habitually breathing. Almost everyone discovers that they breathe in a very shallow way, Mm -hmm. only into the upper chest most of the time. And then some fill up that when you say, take a deep breath, people Mm -hmm. fill up their upper chest in a big way, kind of puffing it up. Mm -hmm. And I say, Good for you for being willing to look. Mm -hmm. You're totally safe with whatever you discover. But now let's offer an alternative for you to play with. If you think of a baby who does the most natural thing in the world, all of us did before we learned to protect and defend ourselves, a baby lying in a crib breathes and only one thing moves the belly goes up and down. Mm -hmm. That is all that happens. There is no big puff up of the chest at all. Mm -hmm. So what I suggest is that you take a deep breath in the nose and out the mouth. First of all, placing a hand on your belly and just seeing if you can still engage that part of your body. And it's okay if it takes you more than one try have the journey of the learning curve and Mm -hmm. reconnecting. So take a deep breath in the nose and fill the lower belly like a balloon as much as you are capable. Then release it out of the mouth. And I'm going to be quiet for three seconds while you do that. Good for you if you are jumping in and having this exploration. So, I can almost guarantee you, yay, if you're able to push that hand out in the belly versus your chest. If you want to know the difference, put one hand on both and see if you can keep your chest still while you breathe into the belly. Now, I can almost guarantee the out-breath was through a tiny little opening in the mouth that was kind of like a straw, because I've taught this for 25 years now. I've watched thousands of people making this discovery. So even when they take what they consider to be a full proactive breath, it's in the belly and then Uh uh something like that. And that is because no one ever encouraged us to share and assert who we are on the inside. How Mm -hmm. do you feel? Share what's going on with you. I'd love to. And so we learn to be very careful about what we assert. And so mm-hmm. the outbreath becomes proof in the pudding. So now, yay, whatever you discovered, but now I'd love you to consider a breath that sounds like this. It'll sound very much like an ah. In filling up the belly. Take a moment and do one or two of those. I'll be quiet. Yay. When you do that, sending the air to the other side of the room frees you up in a way that most people have never considered. If you do too many of those breaths at the beginning, it might very well make you dizzy. 
because you're moving so much more energy than you're used to. Believe me, your body will get used to it very quickly. It has had to ration based on that survival breath that we've been doing. And guess what? Every breath we take is a clear message to self. The in-breath says, this is how safe I feel to receive and it's how much I feel I deserve. Mm -hmm. And we give it just enough for survival. And then the out breath, this is how safe I feel to share who I am on the inside. And if you just start by yourself, expanding the scope into your adult potential, you will be blown away how much calmer you start to feel. How in the world can we deal with feelings if our comfort zone and our breath is so tiny? Because then when something challenging happens and we go into contraction, there's no space to navigate it. And this is even what leads to anxiety and panic attacks. Mm -hmm. The solar plexus grips and we feel like we can't breathe. Mm -hmm. So if we don't wait for crisis and we use this one beautiful tool which is a foundational tool for anything you're going to add afterward, then you have space. And so when you go into a challenge, you've still got negotiability space and you can show up and respond and seek the solutions that you're looking for. So there's a tool. Oh, well, that's, that is wonderful. Again, I, I could feel the physiological, mental, emotional shift when I did that. I'm fascinated by breath work. It's unbelievable. Uh, it really is. Yeah, yeah. And that's just a foundational starting place of a moment. Imagine mm -hmm. doing this and deepening it and exploring with all kinds of other tools. It, it really is remarkable, the impact. Mm -hmm. Well, tell us about this book, Ron. Yeah. I. First of all, the book is called Bright Lights, Big Empty. Oh, what a great title. Because it's a reflection of me seeking that validation of the bright lights. And I was one of the fortunate ones who got to find world-class level of validation and opportunity. And trust me, it did not take away my inner emptiness and self-doubt. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just had to cover it up harder. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so the title comes out of that initially, Bright Lights, Big Empty. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then the subtitle is A Journey of Profound Awakening. And the main reason that I wanted to write this book is that I wanted to take people on the journey. I would say my journey, but it's the journey we're all going through from whatever wounded, defended state we happen to be into the deeper potentials of self. And I live my way through the map of self to claiming more wholeness, more self-value, self-love, self-celebration. These are not words I throw out easily, and they are not some woo-woo concept. These are grounded experiences that we can learn to trust and sustain reliably. We're still going to have challenges. That's how we grow. What's the next thing that I can look at and face and, and claim capacity? If we didn't have a challenge to learn how to read, we wouldn't have the capacity of knowing how to read. Mm. So every challenge is just ultimately an opportunity, but I need to know how to nurture myself through that learning curve rather than thinking I'm not lovable until I get to some end result. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the book is literally a step-by-step -step revelation of walking through the healing process from healing the wounded child inside us to claiming the empowerment of the adult potential even to moving into the front edges of soul potential, accessing and awakening the soul level of our greatness. And I wanted people to know it's safe to share our challenges. I reveal, <laughs> I pretty much open up my guts and my heart in this book. <laughs> and I want people to know that's safe. 
mm-hmm. one mm-hmm. step at a time. So to find out through my journey, some practical things that you can do to take the perfect next step. And that no matter where you find yourself in the journey, now you know, let's just use school as a metaphor. Let's just say I'm in third grade. Well, I'd like to know what the trajectory is. I'd like to know what middle school and high school are like and what I'm working toward. Why am I doing this? And so to have a context, I'm still in third grade, and that is perfect for me when I'm in third grade. Mm -hmm. I am facing the things I need to, and then I can take some next perfect steps for me. We all, when we're carrying so much shame and fear on the inside, we compare ourselves and social media has made it horrendous yeah, to right. present some mask of self. And then it's like, my life must suck. Mm-hmm. And it's just not true. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. we can learn to not compare mm-hmm. because I promise you, I have sung with celebrities, dined with royalty, even shared the stage with two Supreme Court justices, and I have never met a single person who doesn't carry wounding and challenge, even if they're doing amazing things that we can take a picture of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so if we can learn to be human with ourselves and be in whatever grade, it's just a metaphor, we happen to be in, and take our next perfect steps because we feel clearer about that map, all of a sudden life instead of, man, I sure hope that that job or that relationship or making more money will somehow magically make me feel great about myself. Mm -hmm. It can't. But if you fill it from the inside, then all of those beautiful structures can become enhancements and places to practice the awakening of whatever is most important to you as an individual. And then life becomes so much more intimate and passionately focused on the things that are truly authentic to you. Mm. Yeah. And it makes all the difference in the world rather than some pie in the sky thing that's going to lead to disappointment, which mm-hmm. I already proved you don't have to reinvent the wheel. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ron, when, um, when you began to discover these things for yourself, Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, based on the title of your book, you, uh, I would imagine, uh, experienced some disillusionment with, you know, the, the quote bright lights. Um, how did these discoveries that you had personally change your relationship to music and the way you relate to, uh, performing in music now? Yes. I, I love that question. The bottom line is the performing venues were not what was empty. The performing venues are profound and remarkable. It was me who was Mm -hmm. empty. Mm -hmm. And so as I filled myself with connection and invested in nurturing and healing and resolving the feelings that were kicking my butt, then all of a sudden I could change my relationship to all things, including performing. So as an example, 12 years after I had retired and was working full-time, you know, in, at, in my school of self-mastery, as I call it, um, I went back and did a one-man show. And the audience, the theater that I did it in, sat 100 people versus some of the theaters which sat 3,000 people. Mm-hmm. But... This was so meaningful to me, I have no words, because for the first time, I was doing it to share myself in every way I could think of and to love the people who were there to have the experience with me. And it was such a celebration, so different. And so when I did my event last night for the launch of the book, it was the same thing. It was such a joy and a celebration. And there were plenty of things. For instance, uh, we had a couple of sound issues with the Bluetooth uh, speakers, etc. It was no big deal. Uh It just gave us a chance to demonstrate being human and not Mm -hmm. have to freak out. I didn't have to worry that, oh my goodness, somebody's going to think something. Uh 
of course they're going to think something. And if that's what they need <laughs> to learn, then they need permission to think that. Yeah. But I wasn't. I was like, okay, let's work it out. And we worked it out in a few seconds. No big deal. And it was just the opportunity to celebrate being human mm-hmm. and be in our greatness. Yeah. It's, it's such a beautiful thing that I want more and more and more people to know how to do, which is why I'm starting to write these books and get them out into the world now. Mm, yeah. All right. So the title of the book is Bright Lights, Big Empty. Uh, for listeners who may want to contact you in other ways, is there another way they can reach you? Yeah, you can get me through my website, which is ronbaker.net. And I would love to begin more of a conversation and find ways how to help you take some next perfect steps if you're looking for that. Wonderful. Well, it's been uh, a wonderful conversation. Thank Mm. you so much for taking time today to speak with us. Thank you so much. Listeners, hang on. We'll be back in a moment on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. And uh, Nate, I enjoyed that interview with Ron. I mean, I love talking to people who are performers and who got yeah, yeah, into yeah, performing yeah. and really know the um, the feeling of that big, you know, that big stage and the big bright thing. Um, I I really appreciated his comment that it wasn't the performing that was empty, but it was him that was yeah, empty. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. a lot of us that have walked away from one career into another and and done different things, it's very easy sometimes to say that the the thing we were doing is what lost its shine. And yeah, yeah, um, yeah. when in fact, I think at least in my own case, you know, I was uh, certainly uh, empty and uh, maybe yeah. that was the the thing I was trying to put off onto the experience. But, uh, but I can see how folks uh, in recovery could benefit from uh, something like what he's talking about because of what his modalities are, because, you know, you and I talk to people in some type of addictive or unwanted behavior all the time. And it's, it's self-loathing behavior, you know, addiction is, you know, self-loathing behavior. And so I think anywhere where people can experience beginning to connect with themselves and accepting themselves for where and who they are, um, is the beginning of real, uh, real recovery. Yeah. But, yeah. um, I, I, I will say he almost lost me there for a minute when he started talking about channeling and God. I thought, Oh geez, here we go. We're off. I got to get a tinfoil hat. We're off to the planet Zork and it's going to get nuts. Um, however, however, one of the gifts of recovery for me is that it has given me a higher tolerance for ambiguity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was prior to recovery <laughs> Uh, I had all the answers and then I knew there were questions you were not allowed to ask and uh, answers that were completely out of bounds. And I just was not a good listener. I suppose that's one of the great gifts of sitting in those rooms Mm -hmm. uh, as I have all those years is uh, being forced to listen. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And so yeah, so you know, so I so I hung I hung with the conversation, and we got into that breathing stuff, and I know there's something there. Oh yeah, I know from experience there is something there, and I I I I, I could feel it actually physically, tangibly, emotionally, even mentally, just mm-hmm. doing that little brief brief uh, belly breathing exercise that he took. Mm-hmm. Us mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. Uh, well, it's interesting, Nate, how many of our guests coming from meditation uh, uh, perspectives and yeah, yeah. Uh, other therapies um, all seem to share some similar commonalities when it comes to the controlled breathing, the, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, the mindfulness structure, yeah. uh, all of that, that, that um, you know, that breaking these, these, these places that we're stuck in, um, sometimes is as simple as, as just a pause and some, some breathing work. Yeah. 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 Well, there it is. It's another, uh, you know, fascinating conversation. Uh, I, I don't, I'm going to try to remember today to do that belly breathing thing 
going to demote. It you know it doesn't take a lot of time to do it. Right. That's an, right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and especially uh, when I hit moments of frustration or stress, when the urge hits to exit. Yeah. And we've got so many at this point, so many options to exit from life, to get out of uh, the, the world of what is and one, you know, I, I, to take off into social media or to take off into, you know, s- some other diversionary activity mm-hmm. uh, rather than to be fully emotionally present. Right. Uh, right. I'm going to try today uh, to use the belly breathing thing as a way to kind of anchor myself back to the present. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Great uh, challenge. Yeah. Let's see. Let's see how it goes. Yeah. Well, okay. Let me know. <laughs> uh, before we go, uh, tell us about our a uh, better a better help sponsor. Yeah, our flagship sponsor. Uh, the um, the uh, people at BetterHelp.com are here for you to access their services uh, anytime from any place. It is an online, fully licensed therapy uh, resource. And, you know, we talk all the time about connection and about uh, being known and reaching out. This is an excellent opportunity for you to reach out in the privacy of your own home, your own space. Uh, and have a regular session with a licensed therapist that can get you um, through the places right now that are most challenging for you. And that can be anything from depression, anxiety, um, sexuality, addiction. I mean, on mm-hmm. and on. Anything you'd go to normal, <laughs> normal, I'm sure they'll love that word. Um, <laughs> but traditional, <laughs> traditional counseling uh, in person for mm-hmm. you can access at betterhelp.com. And if you do that right now, you go to betterhelp.com slash positive sobriety and receive a discount on your initial sign up. And it helps us know if our resources are helping you. So betterhelp.com slash positive sobriety and get unstuck. All right. Fantastic. Well, we've come to the end of the, of the hour again, a reminder, we love to hear from our listeners and uh, we gain a lot from the feedback we receive from you. You can uh, please, uh, we don't feel like uh, you, you have nothing to add to the conversation. You have something to add to the conversation. We'd love to hear from you. Mm-hmm. Drop us a line at positive sobriety podcast at gmail.com. And uh, if we could also ask a favor, uh, rate this podcast, wherever it is that you uh, write a review and give us a rating that helps make us more visible so that more people can find us. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, David, it's been a great time. Until next time, I'm Nate. And I'm David. And we are your pals on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. The Positive Sobriety Podcast is recorded at Crossroads for the Nations in Brentwood, Tennessee. Live producer, Rex Schnelli. Music by Rex Schnelli. Theme music by Matt Ulrich. Uh, Hair and makeup by Lyle Lovett. Uh, Wardrobe (laughs) by Kathy Gifford. 